Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. For the scripture reading this morning, please turn to the book of James. We're going to look at chapter 2. Verses 14 through 26, if you use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1012. An astonishing um, passage of Scripture in its clarity, an exhortation to the church to show our faith by what we do, not the other way around. So listen carefully, please. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Second marked anniversary of of Roe v. Wade. Um, And for that reason, this morning I'll be speaking primarily to that issue of abortion, though as we talk about standing for those children and for the women who themselves are abused in so many ways through abortion, that we wouldn't just focus on that, but just the wider issue of standing for righteousness, standing for justice, um, being devoted to all in this world that are oppressed and afflicted. I'll uh, quote some from Gary Hoggins' Uh, book, Just Courage and also Terrify No More. Uh, He has formed the International Justice Mission, and one of these books will be available in the next few weeks, uh, both if if people are interested. But uh, they have been involved in rescuing 
people in various, a lot of children in various slave uh, situations, sometimes work situations, sometimes in horrible sexual abuse. Um, and these are believers. Started some 10 years ago, he himself, and now 300 people involved worldwide in this mission to rescue estimated some 30 million people in various aspects of slavery in this world. This is what believers must do. We must be like our God. We must be. We must prove that we adore this God who loves justice and righteousness, that we adore the father of the afflicted, a father of the fatherless, and the, the rescuer of the oppressed and afflicted. We adore him and we are like him. We are his children, depending on him and walking after him. If you'll join me, then we're going to read, uh, begin by reading two passages from Proverbs. First, Proverbs chapter 24, and if you're using the Pew Bible, this is page 546. First, a statement concerning rescue, and then in that context, a statement concerning speaking for those who are afflicted. And that, of course, rubs up against our general series on the use of the tongue. Up to now, we have primarily stressed how the tongue can be misused, many ways that we hurt one another with the tongue. And and here, hopefully, is a major way. Not And, of course, when we talk about the tongue, we're talking about any kind of communication, uh, written or, or spoken. But um, here, to show what the tongue can do coupled with action in this world. Proverbs 24, verse 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Now, of course, this has a wide application, but hopefully you can see that every day 4,000 children are taken to the slaughter. 4,000. You can do your own estimation to how many children on average will be killed as we sit here. 1.3 million a year. And of course, since Roe v. Wade, close to 50 million children. Then Proverbs chapter 31, page 552, verses 8 and 9. In that context of rescue, which obviously includes action. But here, some specific exhortation concerning our words. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Or who, and the first phrase can sometimes translated, for those who can't speak for themselves. <laughs> 
Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Open your mouth for those who cannot open the the mouth for themselves. How appropriate. Many applications, but certainly an application for these unborn children for whom no one is speaking. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to see you as you are. See us, that we can see ourselves as we are, Lord. Reveal to us our our fears, our cowardice, our commitment to comfort and ease, our commitment to safety and well-being, our commitment to entertainment, our commitment to the way things are. Convict us, Lord, that we would be like you, that we would walk in new joy, that we would walk in new freedom, Lord, that we would walk in new love. And Lord, not just this particular issue, but you alone know the many ways in which you choose to use this body with all of its connections, its gifts, its opportunities, its circumstances to bring good to this dark world, to rescue people in so many varied ways not simply the unborn. And so, Lord, may as we talk about this one issue in the main, may we see ourselves as children of this God who is the Father of the fatherless, the protector of the afflicted. Lord, may we adore you and, Lord, may we be like you by your grace and power. We thank you, Lord, even as we begin to speak about these things, that you are our salvation, that you save us. Wherever we are, whatever the problems and darkness of our lives, whatever the lack of love in our lives, you rescue us. Through Christ, we can know forgiveness, and through Christ, we can know transformation. And through Christ, we become instruments in your hand. We thank you, Lord, for such salvation. Amen. Before I speak as well, I no doubt there are some here who've had abortions. And we want to say at the outset that there is forgiveness for any and all in Christ. I um, dealt with a lady in a past church who had, before uh, the legalization of abortion in the United States, had an abortion due to having measles during her pregnancy. It's interesting that the facts and figures show that women are if anything, more tormented by abortions done in difficult circumstances, even more so 
dealing with a child who perhaps would be handicapped or otherwise. The stress is even worse. She had not wanted it, but had been urged by family and the doctor. And, and in her whole life, she, had hardly, she just had not known forgiveness. We spent a lot of hours talking about it. And by God's grace, she really came to a new understanding of forgiveness. And we don't want to say anything that would make a us and you kind of statement. We're the ones who haven't had abortion. You are. We are all broken sinners, and we all would be judged for our sins, whatever they are. And some of us have sins as heinous as anything that can be imagined. Some of your leaders have sins in their past. We've been rescued. We've been rescued. And so we at the outset, want to put this in the framework of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that he calls any and all to come to him for that forgiveness and that anyone can stand before him clean. That's our only hope, any of us, any one of us. We all are on the same level. We all have the same forgiveness we all would be equally judged because of our sins. And so uh, nothing that we say we want to put out of that context of forgiveness. <clears throat> As we think about <clears throat> abortion, just three things I want to say. And in the coming <clears throat> weeks and months, uh, I want to have a regular, I don't know if I'm going to do it through seminar or Sunday school or just providing materials or doing something online, but we're going to try to provide more and more information to help you be involved in various ways. But the first point in abortion, and, and I know for many of you, I'm speaking to the choir here. I know most of your commitment uh, in this area. But first of all, children are being destroyed. Simple. Children are being destroyed. There's no doubt about the Bible's view of what life is in the womb, that it is human life. They're referred to as children. They are addressed as those who are uh, even already involved in sin, capable of being regenerated. Having emotional life, as Psalm 139 indicates by speaking of the inward parts, which is the seat of one's emotions. And even there, God is always seen as the author of that life and the former of that life, intimately involved in crafting and putting together each and every child. It is one made in the image of God, always referred to as the child, as the son, as the daughter, even in the womb. And of course, interestingly, uh, one of the classic um, philosophical lies set forth is a woman having <clears throat> a right over her own body. I love Wayne Stasekel's cartoon, a little child is with wings on clouds is sitting in heaven and the child says, after all, it was my body. <laughs> Making the point, of course, that there are two bodies that 
Many times the blood is different type. And of course, a little male body is certainly not the female's body inside of her. And of course, when it says that women have rights, the unborn women lose their rights, lose all right to life because of what their big sisters have, have declared. So it is, a, it is a child, a child being destroyed. And that simple thing, <clears throat> we lose. We lose sight of that these are sons and daughters. These are grandchildren. Many have or will have brothers and sisters that they have developing personalities that already the way they are constituted determines their gifts and characteristics that would be brought to the fore if they were allowed to live. Why, we recognize eagles as so valuable that their eggs are protected, and yet we don't value human life. And so... You and I lose track. We really do that children by the thousands and the millions are being killed. And we have to ask the question, am I, are we opening our mouths for them? Am I, are we doing anything? What am I doing to rescue them? What are we doing? How are we manifesting God's glorious character in regard to this? And of course, as I've said before, you can ask that question on a broad scale in terms of all injustice, all oppression. But to think of this as an issue of justice and oppression and affliction for these children... Interestingly, on a plane, uh, they interviewed a couple that just had a little baby still in the hospital in the incubator. The mother had been about six months pregnant when all of a sudden she went into labor while flying across the country. Nobody knew what to do, but a couple of people volunteered to midwife. They moved the woman between the seats. Everyone got out of the way, and when the baby came, it wasn't breathing. But then somebody got one of those little cocktail straws. They tapped it down the baby's throat, and finally the cries and screams came, and the baby survived. When that baby started crying, everybody on the airplane started cheering. This is a baby at six months. That would be aborted otherwise. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us that we would cheer and yet we do nothing, even think about, hardly crosses our mind, does it, that those babies are being killed every day. The writer says, it was one of the most wonderful stories I've ever heard. And I have to think that when people hear a story like that, it makes them stop and say to themselves, wait a minute, what is going on? Here we have a magnificent little child saved by a little miracle. And can't you get an abortion at that stage? Jean uh, Garten in her book, begins this way. <clears throat> All of our children were in bed. She was a former supporter, strong supporter, political activist for abortion, and later came to write this book against abortion. 
All our children were in bed. The late television news was over, and I was putting the finishing touches to a presentation for medical students scheduled to be given the next day. As I reviewed some slides which might be used, there appeared on screen a picture of an abortion victim, aged two and one-half months gestation. Her body had been dismembered by a curette, the long-handled knife used in a DNC abortion procedure. Suddenly, I heard, rather than saw, another person near me. At the sound of a sharp intake of breath, I turned to find that my youngest son, then a sleepy, rumpled three-year-old, had unexpectedly and silently entered the room. His small voice was filled with great sadness as he asked, Who broke the baby? How could this small, innocent child see what so many adults cannot see? How could he know instinctively that this which many people carelessly dismiss as tissue or blob was one in being with him, was like him? In the words of his question, he gave humanity to what adults call fetal matter. In the tone of his question, he mourned what we exalt as a sign of liberation and freedom. With a wisdom which often escapes the learned, he asked in the presence of the evidence before his eyes, and this was two and a half months gestation, who broke the baby? It was, it dawned on this probably eight or nine-year-old boy, when we were setting up for a Right to Life booth at the Arklamis Fair in Monroe, Louisiana. A couple in our church was setting it up with us. Chase was perhaps five years old at the time. And this eight, nine-year-old boy was looking at the materials and he was looking at some things like I just described. And he suddenly knowing that we had adopted Chase and knowing the circumstances a bit of that adoption and what a teenage girl had committed to do in order that we would have Chase. And looking at these, this is an eight or nine-year-old boy, and he looked at these pictures and he looked up at Chase and he said, and he came over to Chase. (laughs) Quite a thing for a five-year-old to hear older friends say, Chase, you, you could have been an abortion. Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Children's instincts, even, to see what we lie so often about. Secondly, children are being destroyed. Secondly, women are being abandoned in abortion. Women are being abandoned. I don't really have time to go into the sloganeering that supports this Every woman has a right to control her own body. I've mentioned some of these things. What's so frightening about this is how it makes women feel. There is an article in Christianity Today, Why Women Choose Abortion. This is January 9, 1995. And in every case, it was a combination. Primarily the first thing, no support 
Secondly, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have any information. But close to 80%, one survey was 83% to be exact, of women say, I would not have had an abortion if I had support. That is shocking. What does that say about our society? These women instinctively, they almost uniformly despise what they're doing and what is happening. And and I won't go into the horrible descriptions some of them give as to what happened, especially in saline injection and things like this that just, it wouldn't be good for our children to hear it right now. But they say it was because I didn't have the support If only the men involved would give support, that would almost eliminate it. If parents of teenagers would support, if friends would support, if doctors would support, if the church would support, if all the resources of our society were bent on helping women. And yet, there's even... People even stand in the way of such legislation that would require that we give help. I heard from Dan Patrick, who's one of our state senators, and he spoke at the Right to Life rally in Dallas this past uh, Saturday and Saturday week ago. And he got passed through the Senate a requirement that women have an ultrasound before they have an abortion, but it didn't pass the House of Representatives. Pro-abortionists despise this legislation. They think it's coercive. They think it's standing in the way of abortion. And yet women again and again say, if I had known, if I had known, if I had known. I've worked in a pregnancy center two years. I've seen over and over the immediate change that would occur in a woman as she shockingly realized the nature of the child that she was carrying. And so post-abortion syndrome is a recognized psychological problem. And it carries on for years. There are relational difficulties. It's interesting, they say, because of the pro-choice rhetoric, men are made to feel like you can't even enter into this decision. You just need to let it be her decision. If he says it's whatever you want to do, she reads it as, therefore, he doesn't want it. And it's a further reason for her to feel abandoned. And, of course, sometimes he would want it, but he doesn't feel like he can say anything. And so they're both, their relationship is torn up over it. But we need to enable women to make noble choices for them to be true, noble women and have their dignity in this. It's a dehumanizing thing. War is dehumanizing. Killing is dehumanizing. They speak of the terrible effect on late-term abortions from doctors and nurses. They they just agonize over it. And so many leave it after a while. 
And do we want to think women are incapable of dealing with the adversity of unwanted pregnancy by any other means than destroying life? Is that a flattering thing to say about women? That they're so psychologically weak? Do we have such a low opinion of them? That they're not mature and responsible people that have the ability to face problems squarely? Don't we want mature people to have the ability and desire to consider the well-being of all who are involved in a situation? When we ask others, men and now women, to risk themselves in war, we're not willing to ask women and to help them and encourage them to take that step of noble sacrifice. And to see, if nothing else, the glorious effect of a couple like ourselves. We've had three children in our home because women in very difficult circumstances, one woman couldn't even give the name of the man. Not because she didn't know it, but obviously it was such a difficult circumstance, maybe dangerous, maybe dangerous to his reputation. Not a pleasant situation. But in God's mercy and this woman's commitment to the life of this child, we have another son. And so it's the destruction of a child, but women, children are being destroyed, women are being abandoned, and thirdly, Christians, many professing Christians are doing nothing. There's your three things. Children are being destroyed. Women are being abandoned. And many, maybe most Christians, professing Christians, are doing nothing. If you add up your prayers, who you've written, who you've called what steps you've taken, who you've discussed with, what you've read, perhaps, to gain knowledge. What was Roe v. Wade? What were the circumstances? Where are we right now in our situation? Uh, what you've given, hours volunteered, etc. What are we doing? That's a question that I must ask myself. It's a question you must ask yourself. Of course you know that we have a pregnancy lifeline here. Um, I think it's the greatest opportunity, of course, person to person, for us to try to help people understand. And we can rejoice in the many women in our church who volunteer now and have volunteered there for this expanding work, others who've given to this work so that uh, it is expanded and others scattered around the United States. And brothers and sisters, as little as we are doing, I think, who else is is coming together to create a pregnancy center like this except believers? I mean, think of it. Who? Who? What other group? pools their resources and commits their hours all free to the people who come in order to give them information about their baby and then in order to help them make a decision and give them support and resources if they choose to keep their baby. Who is doing that? 
Thankfully, there are many Christians who are. We can rejoice in that. We really stand alone in many ways in our society. There are some who, pref- who, uh, who would say they're, they're, that are Jews. There, there's some scattered people. But just for instance, this rally, this march I went to, the first 30 minutes of it was just worship, <laughs> Christian worship. Everything was assumed. We 5,000 people are believers who've come together to protest and to act. I was touched that this downtown Catholic church had mass because of this day, because of Roe v. Wade. Whatever you may think about our Catholic friends, (laughs) and they were pouring out the doors of the cathedral and pouring out of the overrun section. (laughs) And there were people in the hall at certain points as we were just standing, kind of looking around, see what was going on, kneeling and standing as they heard the liturgy. What are we doing? How are we praying? Who are we writing? How are we acting? And as I've said, hopefully... Uh, No, not hopefully, but we will give you more and more tools as we uh, go forward to give you opportunity to try to tell you what to do. You know that by now, you can go online and find out just about anything you want to. If you really want to find out about abortion, you really want to find out what you can do in your area, most of you have the tools right in front of you, right in your computer, to go and start digging in and start changing. Let me read again. Would you read with me Proverbs 24? If you don't have an English Standard Version, you can use the one in the pew. 24.11. I'd like for you to read it with me. If you don't have the version, then okay, you can listen. But (laughs) listen. Let's read together verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter 24. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to... To his work. And now, chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. May I follow that up with, I'll read a few other passages. Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. In Daniel chapter 11, as he is describing 
events that will come to pass. He says this, The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Notice that doesn't say the Sunday school teachers or the elders or the pastor or the church members. Those who know their God will take a stand and will take action. And one more passage, of course, we could read dozens. In Jeremiah 22, verse 16, God is here calling on the carpet Shalom, who is the son of the righteous Josiah, and he's speaking judgment about him. But as he describes Josiah, he says, verse 16, He judged the cause of the poor and needy, then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? The definition of knowing God. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was what? Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. I'm going to close with a few quotes from Gary Hagen's, or Hagen, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He says in uh, quoting John Stuart Mill, First, John Locke, he noted that we Christians say we believe the most marvelous, earth-shattering, and revolutionary things, that we are fully loved by a good and all-powerful God who will never fail to secure us in life and death, that we are therefore free to experience and exhibit selfless love and courage and joy every day, no matter what. For eternity. Sounds a lot like our mission statement. A lot like our vision statement. But how many of us live as if these things are true? John Locke estimated not one in 10,000. And Gary Hoggins says, and that sounds about right to me. He also quotes John Stuart Mill's essay on liberty. He read this as a freshman in college. He was trying to explain the process by which words lose their meaning, and he casually offered that the best example of this phenomenon of words losing their meaning was Christians. How about that in the world? You want an example of words losing their meaning? Here, Christians will show it to you. Christians, he observed, seem to have the amazing ability to say the most wonderful things without actually believing them. And he goes on to say, Mill says, The sayings of Christ coexist passively in their minds, producing hardly any effect beyond what is caused by mere listening to words so amiable and bland. And... This final quote, as they were just hours away from going on a rescue mission in Cambodia, in Svei Paka, 
a town that was erected literally so that children could be abused. That was the whole point of the town and all the support for that, the amenities provided. Western tourists going to a safe place where they can raise children. Our mission was to break that deadly cycle of resignation and despair and to demonstrate that it was possible to unravel the web, rescue the children, and get the perpetrators sent to jail. They're working hands in hand, hand in hand with the authorities, but the authorities left to themselves would have done nothing. It would take committed operations over many years to clean up a place like Savay Park. But our immediate mission was to stop the abuse of these kids and change the calculation about what was possible. Of course, that is always the toughest step. If people thought it was, quote, possible to rescue these kids and bring the bad guys to justice, it would have happened a long time ago. But the darkness had grown too thick, so thick that dozens of children could be openly sold off to pedophiles and sadists. And there was just, quote, nothing that could be done about it. And truth be told, there was a lot more evidence to support that conclusion than there was to challenge it. But again and again, we were confronted with two unrelenting facts. First, the children were being horrifically abused before our eyes. Second, we all professed a faith that there was a God who loved these children and called us to do for them what we would want done for our own children. This was not a clever quiz on an ethics exam or a contrived piece of sensationalism for a shocking marketing campaign. This was what the world, this was the world as it really was right in our faces. This was put up or shut up. It was time to fasten our chin straps or get out of the uniform. I like that last phrase for you and me. It's a time to fasten our chin straps or get out of the uniform that's labeled a follower of the one who is father to the fatherless. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, if there's anybody that needs forgiveness at this moment, it is me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, that in my own life I can wax hot and cold on this issue. In my own life I can be a leader in the community and I can be silent and like I don't exist in the community in terms of this issue. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. We have nothing to bring to you. We have no... Nothing to earn your favor, your acceptance. How unlike you we are, Lord. For you sent your son to die for us. You rescued us at the expense of your own son. Lord Jesus, you sacrificed yourself to give us who had forfeited everything. We were actually truly guilty, not innocent victims. And yet you sacrificed yourself to give us the privilege of sonship, the privilege of being intimate with your Father, 
of having all the privileges that you earn for us. How unlike you we are. How unlike you I am by nature. Yet you save us. You save us. Rescue us, Lord. Rescue us. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Draw us to yourself. We must have your grace for forgiveness and transformation. Take us as children, Lord, helpless, dependent, weak, admitting by nature we're distracted, we're self-driven, we're comfortable. Lord, our hatred takes such nice forms. We are weak, but you are strong. In our weakness, Lord, take us and make us your instruments. May we show forth glory. And may we do so with energy and joy that reflects your goodness. For we ask it in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?